0: to the Anxious in Austin podcast. My name is Dr. Marianne Stout.
1: And I'm Dr. Thomas Smithyman.
0: We are two psychologists here in Austin. This is the Anxious in Austin podcast. Um, We work at the Anxiety Treatment Center of Austin, where we do cognitive behavioral therapy um, to treat anxiety disorders and OCD. Yeah, and this is our
1: podcast. We're going to do this somewhat regularly, and our goal is to... Uh, just talk about a whole bunch of anxiety-related topics. Obviously, there'll be a lot of treatment involved, because that's what we do for our job.
0: We hope you like it. Today, we are focusing on Dr. Smithyman's baby.
1: My, my favorite.
0: Social anxiety.
1: Yep, social anxiety. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I like um, talking about this.
0: I love that you love talking about this. Yeah. You have so much enthusiasm for it mm-hmm. that... I really used to hate working with social. You, you anxiety. hated it. Oh, yeah, that is a strong word. It was not one of my favorite disorders to work yeah. with. Um, and now I enjoy it a whole lot more. And yeah. I think a lot of it's because of your strong enthusiasm. I was showing
1: you how cool it is to work on. hmm
0: yeah. I think it's. Um, I'm not sure why I, I think because like I it can be you can work with people who have really pervasive. Social anxiety and it can really get into the, you know, there's a personality disorder to go along with it in the extreme cases. Totally, yeah.
1: Like, yeah, which which is
0: a avoidant personality. You're avoidant
1: personality disorder, yeah, which yeah.
0: really can, um, right, get into very be very um, egocentric or kind of where people think like this is me. It's mm-hmm. not that this thing is happening to me or this is a strange way I'm reacting. Yeah. People can mm-hmm. think that this is my personality. This is who I am. Totally, and, yeah. Um, it can be really difficult to make some shifts with. Is, yeah. And I think... It can take a long time, right? Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And
0: having a new attitude and perspective and on my part, I think, has been helpful in treating it. So tell listeners and <laughs> yeah. me why why do you love social anxiety so much? What got you hooked?
1: Oh, okay. Um, I mean just my own experience I think um, that's why I cared about it so um, not that I was ever particularly socially anxious um, but um, I think I was pretty pretty extroverted and um, if you're extroverted and you have some social anxiety then it's pretty painful because the extroverts you want to be out Around a bunch of people, connecting with a lot of people, meeting new, new folks, that kind of stuff. So you want that, and then the social anxiety is the fear, the defensive system kicking in, trying to protect you from danger. So you've got this approach-avoidance conflict, and there's a lot of, like, stress in that.
0: I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that you can be right, an extrovert and socially anxious at yeah. the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people a lot of times kind of think of it... It's being the same, yeah. So, we we actually know that those are two different dimensions. So, you know, you can think of it as being like a like a horizontal axis of like, um, you know, introversion on one end, extroversion on the other end, and then a what do you vertical? call this one vertical vertical, <laughs> vertical uh, axis, which is like high anxiety to low anxiety. So yeah, so you get these um people who like don't really want to be around a lot of people so they're introverted like like small smaller groups less less stimulation less people and they might be introverted and have some social anxiety so some fear of like judgment or rejection failure Um, but it doesn't cause that many like that much of a problem there'll be some but like it's not like it's coming up all the time but if you get the other side of things, extroverted, want to be around a lot of people, but the anxiety kicks in, then it's stopping you from doing what you really want. And mm-hmm. that's that can be painful. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So the, I, think, I think that's my... That was my experience. Not not debilitating social anxiety, but get in the way of me being as social as I want it to be.
0: Well... And since I'm privy to this, since I know you, like mm-hmm. I loved your story of when you came to the U.S. and how, like, cultural norms, oh yeah. right, like could add to that. That
1: that that, <laughs> that is definitely that was definitely a big big chunk to me. So so coming from Australia um, to America, I expected probably like everybody else does. Oh, you know, same culture because we speak the same language, um, and instead it was not. It was not. It's a whole bunch of these subtle, different social norms that I had to learn. Um, I also had to learn about male-female interactions because I had not had any in my all-boys <laughs> nerd school. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I, I had initially a whole lot of trouble. People were generally different from from where I'd come from, and so uh, my natural kind of extroversion came out, and I was like trying to talk to everyone. and out with everyone and I would get not the reaction I was hoping for which then led to me being like oh man
0: <laughs> well I think that's so fascinating right because people often think if you're socially anxious you're just always socially anxious right like if yeah. you have social anxiety that's sort of a, a a trait of yours and right like anybody I think that can be helpful too for the empathy piece when people are like oh, I just don't get it That anybody, right? Like, if you stick somebody in a totally Totally different culture...
1: Totally, everyone gets... Yeah, it's a a natural thing we all have. It's just a matter of, yeah, what conditions trigger it, how sensitive is it, Mm -hmm. and is it, like, realistic? Because a lot of times, like, I know I used to do a lot of, um, I still do some, but I used to do a lot of Asperger's work, and a lot of the, the questions were, like, you know, for social anxiety and Asperger's, you know, for social anxiety, the idea is it's this... Oh no! This concern. I'm going to get rejected, or people are not going to like me. Things are going to go badly. But that it's an it's an exaggeration and overreaction, and our goal is to correct that so that the threat system doesn't need to turn on. But what about those situations where it's correct? Mm-hmm. Like, what if you've had a history of people responding badly, and you know you you it's maybe accurate in some ways. Like, so, yeah, that's probably not going to go real well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: what do you do then?
1: Oh, I mean, you still work on it. You still want it to be realistic. And we can tolerate a whole lot of neutral responses from people. Like, how, do you really need to have... Like, how many people do you come across in your lifespan? I don't know. Let's pull the number out. 20,000. Do you need 20,000 friends? No. You need a few friends. Um, talk about this a lot when it comes to dating, which is not really what we'll get into this time. But... You don't need everyone to be into you. Just, just need to find find the the few who who are into you, who fit well. Mhm. Yeah. And of course, you also work on social skills.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, what do you do in working on social skills? What are some of your typical things that you do when you're working on? Oh, just the social
1: skills. Mhm. Yeah. That's, that's kind of interesting to that we ended up talking about this because I, I think this is um, like in the research sort of ideas on on social anxiety. The the sort of general position is that people with social anxiety have social skills that are just as good as people who do not have social anxiety. The problem is not social skills. It's really the anxiety that's getting in the way of using the social skills that that are there. So what I find helpful is um, figuring out some... Just like the real the basic kind of central core of socialising and having that be at least, um, like, understood, so, like, social cognition, so you understand, okay, this is the basic way that, say, conversation and connection works. And so it's it's known so that if you are in the middle of what you're, you know, some anxious social situation and the threat system kicks in and... You can't just act naturally, which is what we prefer. Um, you have the knowledge enough to kind of, um, like frontal lobe over, override the threat system and choose to ask a question.
0: Mm. You know. That's why you review social skills.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think you know, more specifics on the social skills. Um, in my mind, you keep it simple. Because the more complicated you make it, the harder it is to remember, the harder it is to think about when you're anxious, the more pressure you'll feel to try to do something really good. No, we we want it just to be the simple basic mechanics of connection, which are share some things about yourself, ask the other person to share some things about themselves, and then uh, listen to it. Right, that's, that's that's the basics of mm-hmm. connection. That's the, like the the reciprocating uh, the sharing of information about each other and caring, <laughs> listening to it, not just ignoring what the person says. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's the basic. It's a basic engine, um, like self self disclosure. This is what I call it. So basically, self disclosure, which an, is hard when you're connection. so
0: focused on. What am I going to say next? How am I coming across?
1: And yeah, Are right. And, blushing. And like, if what I is, if I actually reveal myself, is that going to be approved of, or mm-hmm. is that going to be the thing that they reject me for? Mm-hmm. So, so um, uh, do you know Moscovich? Mm-hmm. This is like Canadian like social anxiety guy. Okay. Um, so he has this this wonderful paper. It's called something like, like the core fear in, in social anxiety. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's great. Um, but what his, his idea, so his sort of angle on... Because, you know, there's different, different sort of researchers and people looking at social anxiety, trying to come up with how to, how to understand it and treat it. And his way, which I love, is that social anxiety is basically you have a core fear about the self and you believe that if that is revealed it will result in rejection and humiliation so sad yeah that, that is how it sucks like it means it means you it means you cannot be yourself you can't be authentic you can't show yourself and connect you're if that if you are acting as though that's true there's some there's some aspect of me which is you know not good enough and rejectable then yeah you got to do a whole lot of work to hide that stop it from coming up ha- try to meet the needs of connecting while also hiding this stuff that is hard work and of course you're going to avoid people and do all this stuff so yeah I mean that's um, yeah he, he sort of gets at the idea that self esteem is really linked into this because that's a
0: is that, that self esteem you know?
1: um how, how do you mean
0: like, do you come present or explain it from the angle of we're going to be working on self esteem, or we're going to try to understand what your core beliefs are about yourself? And
1: mm. you're no. shaking your head no. <laughs> no, I? I mean, I would no. I think um, what, I think I have when I think about the idea of working on self esteem, like we'll have to at some point talk to Dr. Labor who does. Like who at at our anxiety treatment center of Austin here? She does self-esteem work. I'd love to have her on and tell us how she does, how she does work on self-esteem. Um, but my idea is treat the social anxiety, and the self-esteem is gonna increase. Mm-hmm. Like want we'll I, I, w- I want people to have self-confidence. Um, because to me, self-confidence just means you are acting in alignment with the self. So, like, thinking, uh, like, I think I'm good. I, I don't really focus as much on that. But I do focus on I want you to be authentic and real, even if there's the risk of people won't like it. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, some people won't like it. But you don't need... You don't need that. Yeah. Do do you... Do you do self-esteem stuff as part of, like, treating social anxiety? Like, Um, I guess, like, direct self-esteem stuff rather than, I guess, social anxiety-focused treatment?
0: I mean, not... Not so much of, like, focusing on, like, the self, like, what are your beliefs about yourself. Yeah. But more, yeah, and how it plays out in the disorder. And, yeah, like, if their, like, beliefs come out, like can't do that because I somebody would think I was weird and I might say like yeah and what if they did what would be so bad about that and Mm -hmm. how would you cope with it and what's evidence Mm -hmm. against it and have you tolerated that before and do you think other people are bad or weird and can that be okay does that really mean that they have to change just because you think they're bad or weird and so does that mean that you have to change if somebody thinks you're bad or weird or could you tolerate that they might think that about you Mm -hmm. so I think maybe yeah coming at it from a different angle of, other than like, yeah. let's work on your sense of
1: self. So you know what, what that brings up for me is, um, so for for any sort of ang- like any sort of anxiety disorder, cognitively, so thought stuff like um, cognitive therapy. There's there's two um, two core things we're always going to work on even if we don't talk about it directly. One is that, that biased belief in how likely something is to happen, so overestimating the likelihood of negative events occurring. Um, and the second one is catastrophizing. So if that does go wrong, um, it would be awful and I couldn't handle it. Um, so we're always working on those two. When it comes to social anxiety, I personally think the catastrophizing is more important
0: than the likelihood
1: yeah and so i do you know like i really want i would be really happy if people came away with this idea of oh sometimes things don't go great but look i can handle it Mm it doesn't it doesn't doesn't destroy me if i can go through that and and You know, I can screw up and fall over or spill something, drop something, say the wrong thing, stutter, all that, and I can see what the response is, and the response is probably not that much. People are probably polite. Maybe they're having some private thoughts about it, but it's none of my business. But if you know that some like people can not be into you, or you can do some sort of screw up. And there's no real consequences, and that is, like, I think the most freeing thing there is. Sure.
0: I think it's, like, there's no real consequences. Also, if there are consequences, I can tolerate it. Yeah, totally. A lot of times people are like, but it came true, or I have experienced this before, and yeah, good. And then then what? What'd you do? How'd you cope with
1: it? Right, and I'll ask this, too, something happens. I'm like, okay, so, yeah, when that happens, when you go to talk to someone, and they're, like, kind of rude to you, and... Tell me what happened. Well, I felt, you know, shame, self-loathing, pain. I thought about how would nobody else must like all All that stuff, which is, you know, just an aspect of, of the threat system kicking in, making you feel all those things. Yeah, sucks, painful. How long does it last? Not that long. How long before you, like you know, basically it's like you tolerate some pain for a while without anything really bad happening
0: Mm
1: -hmm. yeah like a lot of people I know is what for consequences if there are consequences the worst consequences are I feel a negative emotion Mm -hmm. not anything in the real world like not anything bad really actually happens most of the time but so that's my thought um you know
0: that I'm curious about that yeah selfishly from from a standpoint uh huh How do you talk to people about that when... Because, yeah, that comes up all the time, I think, in social anxiety, of, like, I would feel sad or I would feel rejected or I would feel, yeah, negative emotions. How do you talk to clients about that?
1: Um, Good. Good. It's good to do that. We want to habituate and learn to tolerate. We want to develop distress tolerance. It's good news. It doesn't happen enough. You know, <laughs> that's pretty. That's kind of me, and I always feel bad when I'm talking about it. But when I have people do social anxiety exposures, I hope that some of the time it doesn't go great, because you really, you. I want you to practice it. I want you to, you know, you, you can habituate to to that just like you you do to anything else. It's great news that most of the time we go and do the thing you're afraid of and the thing that because the consequence you're afraid of doesn't happen. That's great. It shows you the likelihood's low. Probably makes it easier. But if you go through it a few times and know, hey, it, when it does get bad, when that person's rude, you can handle it, you can tolerate it and keep going. And then someone else the next day is like, nice. You're like, ah oh, okay, good. You, you can tolerate it.
0: So you're saying that... It's the avoidance of the negative emotion mm-hmm. yeah. that makes a negative emotion seem so much more Seems worse. so like, like oh, I
1: can't handle it. And, mm-hmm. and also, like, you think about how do people respond to negative emotions most of the time? They just ruminate on it. So we feel bad, and so we, like, sit and we replay it again and again, and what does it mean to me? We sort of worry it and ruminate it. If instead you work on it as being like, okay, this is a good opportunity to practice distress tolerance... Get used to it, feel that it passes through you. It's kind of how I like to do it, and choose not choose not to do the post-event rumination.
0: Talk about that, because I think that's probably a right, like oh, yeah. jargony thing. Post-event yeah, yeah,
1: rumination. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so okay, I'll 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 talk about it in like both both pieces. Um, for social anxiety, if for things to go great, for things to be the way we want it to be socially, um, we don't want we don't want people in their heads. We want the attention to be external and engaged in the world. Um, the way that being in your head can get you in trouble. In the moment, you can be in your head, thinking about things, or it's self-focused. It's going to increase your anxiety. We want you to focus on the people around you. We want you to focus on who you're talking to or what you're talking about, external focus. Before you enter the social situation, if you know, okay, I got this... My Christmas party's coming up and there's going to be a lot of people I don't know, something like that, um, then you... There's a good chance your threat system will kick in because it thinks there's a danger. Um, What if I, what if I meet this person and that flawed part of myself is revealed and this person rejects me? So your defense system kicks in to try to protect you. Um, And it does that in a whole bunch of different ways, which I'm sure we'll probably end up getting into. Um, But one of those ways is it wants you to think in advance before the event about how, all the bad things that might happen and come up with solutions and how you might escape from it and that's worry it's having you
0: anticipatory anxiety yeah
1: sorry anxiety worry it wants you to pre worry the situation and we know from the research that just makes you more anxious and more likely to avoid going there's a very similar thing that happens after so you might you know do this worry before the christmas party you go to the christmas party and you're focusing on oh, what are people thinking about me? Have they noticed how shaky my hands are or that I'm blushing? Are they going to reject me because of that? Maybe I should try to hide it. Maybe I should hide from people. Maybe I should, you know, protect. And then afterwards, this is where the post-event rumination kicks in. Uh, rumination is basically you just think back over what happened and relive it. and the analyze it. Yeah, jump to the bad pass. And with a very skewed, negative idea of what happened, just picking up the bad stuff and ignoring the good stuff and going over it again and again to feel worse. Generally with the idea, I don't know if i come across this, but generally the idea of, well, I've got to think it through and see what I did well and what I did badly so that I can improve for next time. But again, the research on this is real clear. All you do if you sit and analyse what you did and how it went, All you do is raise the standards of performance, saying, oh wow I I can't believe I did that, I better not do that next time, think how bad it would be and lo and behold next time you're more anxious because now you've got these standards you've got to live up to and you're like, oh I better not screw up like I did last time so you're even more anxious going into it so uh, this post-vent remission backfires makes you feel real crappy while you are reliving it and it makes you worse the next time
0: because mm-hmm, you're less likely to reveal who you are or be authentic totally. or yeah. kind of be in the present moment because mm-hmm. you're so busy in your head and yes, trying to avoid people and, and. trying to avoid saying or mm-hmm. being weird and something. the cycle continues mm-hmm. mm. yeah
1: <laughs> cool
0: I can't remember what we got
1: I have no of? idea. <laughs> some, rumination. Some, somehow we got to post event rumination. Yeah.
0: Um what are some of your favorite things in treating with social anxiety disorder? When so, you have a client who comes in and you're like, Ah, mm-hmm. oh, yes, this is great. Yeah. What does that usually look like?
1: Um so so like sort of favorite treatment, like parts techniques or parts of treatment? Sure. I mean I think it's going to be the same stuff that you like just because it's, I think it's awesome. Okay, so a um, bit, of, bit of background because you've got to understand the theoretically how how we're thinking about it in order to understand the treatment process. So if we're taking that Moscovich idea of I think there is something flawed about me and if that is... People see it, they're going to reject, humiliate me... You know, just... that that's the negative consequence will occur. Um, if that's... If that's the underlying thing that's going on... Then that is going to kick in... Your threat system... Which... Exists to... A psychological system exists to protect. So we now have this de- you know the danger signals kick in and the threat system starts doing all its defensive stuff one of which is where the attention goes some of it's the worrying some of it's the rumination some of it's a self-focus on the floors um, and then a bunch of it is avoidance so staying away from the situations um, or safety behaviors which we keep talking about because it's really important um, but the safety behaviors of protecting um like defense and protection and making sure okay i can get through this as long as no one sees my blushing or my hand shaking or i don't say anything stupid or yeah i think like, of, i only talk to my safe people
0: yeah i think of uh, like primary avoidance being like i'm just not going to do the thing i'm not going to go to the party mm-hmm. and secondary avoidance is maybe i'll do the thing but i'm still going to mm-hmm. try to avoid anxiety by yeah having a drink or going with my best friend or avoiding eye contact or ways I can still maybe I'm not avoiding the situation but I'm still trying to avoid anxiety that's what I think of totally. safety behaviours
1: yeah yeah. so it's it's. I, guess I, I think of it as being the what can I do to prevent people from seeing my flaw and rejecting me for it I can do it by not being at the party I can do it by only talking to people that I already know like me I can do it by um, hiding my flaw while interacting.
0: Rehearsing what I'm going to say ahead of time. Yeah.
1: And so there's, there's a logic in here. So if we're looking at what is a safety behavior, it's going to reveal to us what is the flaw that we're worried is going to get shown. So if you are trying to... For your example, if you need to rehearse and come up with things to say in advance, then the underlying fear must be something of I will have nothing to say and they will think oh this person is boring or what I say will just be so generic or uninteresting that they'll reject me for someone else or I'll say something stupid or unintelligent that's why I've got to so I always ask this We're looking at well what are the things to do to protect I always ask well what is it protecting you from if you can no longer do that what happens and that's a good way of getting down to that to that flaw so yeah so so that's kind of our our idea here it's an underlying belief about some negative part of the self that's going to lead to rejection defense system comes to your aid to try to prevent that um, flaw from being seen and the rejection humiliation um, from occurring So, in treatment, there's a whole bunch of different things we do. There's all these different components that we'll get to. But the funnest part is trying to break that that connection. It's basically to test out that core fear. So, the idea would be deliberately... So, going into the social situations and deliberately choosing to either reveal the authentic self and seeing what happens see see what the rejection is if it actually occurs how how they actually respond how bad is it or um, sometimes like deliberately you know exaggerating the 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 thing that you're afraid of
0: so what would be some examples of times when you've done this or um, times who you've treated that have been some of your favorite cases or situations
1: so so the the ways we like to do it the the fun part is actually leaving the office and going out into the public into the public going out (laughs) into public where with the public um and testing all the stuff out um so one of my favorites just because it it ends up being so much fun for everyone is art uh basically appearing stupid <laughs> so asking stupid questions and appearing like you don't know things that you really should know
0: like what give some example
1: uh, um, so like like uh, the, the favourite always being stand somewhere like stand near a store and ask for ask people where, where the store is like standing in front of Starbucks and going oh do you guys know where Starbucks is
0: I've done this one uh-huh. here in Austin yeah in front of the UT Tower, which mm-hmm. historically was like the tallest building in Austin.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, standing in front of the UT Tower asking people where My, the UT Tower was.
1: M- most obvious.
0: Yes. Yeah. And asking clients to ask other people where the UT Tower was. And oh, I gotta tell you, people are so nice. Well nice, right? <laughs> what <How did> you <laughs> so find out? Nice. They're so
1: They're so happy to help you and oh. they're polite and you do something stupid and they don't, yes. they act as though it's not stupid.
0: Yes. They're trying to like save yeah. faith. I would have... People say, like, you know, they've made the assumption that, like, you know where the tower is. You're just trying to find a specific entrance. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I, you know. <laughs> which, which in, in the research, of course, that is, they help you save face. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to criticize or point. Them. They're actually like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you here. I care. I don't want you to feel bad. It would make me feel bad if you felt bad. Mm-hmm. So they're actually trying to be nice.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty great.
1: Yeah, this like, one of the other sort of core components in social anxiety treatment is I, I, I call it the myth of the um, hypervigilant, hypercritical mm. public. This idea that everybody is super observant of you and looking for flaws to, to critique as, until basically believing people are that way until proven otherwise. And in social anxiety, that's just a common belief... Everyone is that way until you know they're not.
0: But I'm going to throw a wrench into this. Yeah. The internet. Mm hmm. And like, um, social media and. Yeah, social media is worse. <laughs> no! The yeah, internet's
1: worse. let just ban the whole thing. It's awful.
0: I think that's like a hard caveat in this. Well,
1: it's, it's a caveat because it's. But it's also not. Because it's not as human. Yeah. It's it's not human. It's, it's just words on a on a screen Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it's so distant from human interaction
0: right which is part of like right like road rage and why people can be to people in cars because you're not interacting with somebody you're not seeing them totally yeah and if
1: you were to do the same sort of maneuver walking on the street the person wouldn't want to attack you Mm -hmm. they'd be like a quick human like oh sorry you know things would move on
0: Mm hmm yeah but yes on the internet without a face or a yeah, Person well, in front of there's you.
1: also so th- that that myth of the sort of hyper vigilant, hyper critical audience. Um, we do a lot of experiments finding out how mean people are. Like a lot of exposures and experiments. Let's go out and we'll say this and we'll do this. We'll say hi to this many people and we'll see how many are dismissive and mean. And we'll ask people sort of easy small talk questions. Um, remember, I, I at one point did an anxiety group. So this was a a, a UT. And our very first, I think the first day, maybe, but at least the first exposure was we went to a building with an elevator and we just rode up and down the elevator without leaving. And every single person that came in, we would say hi. And then we'd ask them how their day was going. And... You know, the anxious... The threat system, which is designed to over-exaggerate the dangers in order to make sure we're safe. Everyone's threat system was saying... Everyone's going to be mean. They're going to be like, why are you talking to me? You're not. You're breaking the rule of talking on the elevator. People are going to be, what's the point of this? They're going to know that it's a trap. You know, the threat system been saying all these things. Basically, don't do it. It's dangerous. It will lead to disgusted looks and all, all this kind of stuff. And yet... When we did it, people came back like kind of almost elated in the, in the way when exposure goes really well. Where you face the fear and you won.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because nobody was mean. Like we, we, we amassed a lot of numbers in that every single person that came in got this for like a half hour or something. Using multiple elevators. Everyone was nice. Some people were neutral. Some people were nice. Everyone was basically polite some were more eager to chat, some were less eager to chat some had headphones on we weren't pulling the headphones off and interrupting them um, but nobody was mean I think my, my current guess, I don't know your guess but this is based upon sort of experience uh, I've had and testing of, you know, through our exposures I think mean people my, my current guess is 5%. 5% mm-hmm. adult population are actually jerks who are mean and like criticizing and attacking people. Um, it's like one in, 1 in 20. Upside, 95% of people are nice people. Basically neutral to nice.
0: And I think even within that, right, like probably not a ton of people are like, of the time mean, right? Like, like some people are having a bad day, some people aren't...
1: Totally. Just not... Yeah, they're probably not jerks to the core. Yeah, Is what you're saying? Yeah, probably. Yes, maybe contextual,
0: (laughs) that they're like... Yeah, by that. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, catch them on the wrong day, the wrong time.
0: Had some terrible thing happen to me, or what have you. Mm -hmm. So, I'm not feeling super chatty right now. Yeah,
1: Yeah. So, internet... I don't know. I'm deliberately trying trying not to find out why the internet is horrible. I prefer just to try to largely stay away from it, not ingest all that you know, all, all, all that that sort of negativity. But maybe the five percent. That's why. Maybe, they really, <laughs> maybe they're really loud. You know. Mhm. M- maybe they're doing a lot of that stuff. Who knows? But in real life, interacting with real people, people don't respond to you being friendly, for the most part, by being mean.
0: Mm-hmm. Very true.
1: Yeah. So, that's why we do stuff that is a little we get a little pushier. Because what happens when you <laughs> when you're less friendly? So we can do experiments sometimes where we're like actually not jerks, but we're doing stuff that's not people pleasing. Yeah. Because not as
0: socially appropriate. Always. Yeah.
1: If the idea is like, well, I gotta just. Make it all about other people's needs, or else um, they're gonna. It's gonna be conflict, and they everyone's gonna hate me. But then we start doing stuff that's maybe not just a little more demanding. So I know that that uh, you do these ones too, of like poor Starbucks, <laughs> <Go> <laughs> Poor Starbucks, to, go, go to Starbucks, and like I
0: always think of that as like a good entry level mm-hmm. place. I also
1: like it because there's a lot of people there all the time. Yeah, there are a lot of so people. if you want to do like a lot of times we do exposures where we're testing out the reaction of an audience mm-hmm. and Starbucks always has people mm-hmm. so um, I, I had one exposure I was doing with somebody where the concern was like oh I don't want to annoy people by being being loud or distracting like, I, I should really kind of be on my best behaviour so to test that I asked him to will oh, bring bring a book you, you can like drop on the ground oh All the other, a lot of times I'll drop keys or just screw up in some kind of way but or be, ask a lot of questions or something that's being annoying but for, for him we're like yeah let's, let's bring a book and then we'll drop the book and it'll be loud and people people will look up the threat system says people will look up and be annoyed and like oh what's that guy doing and be sort of bothered and have to tolerate the experience of people being unhappy with him and learn he could t- he could habituate to it and handle it and it wasn't a big deal mm-hmm. with the eventual idea of not like oh now I can be a jerk and it doesn't matter but the <laughs> Therefore, I can just be authentic and real. I don't have to be people-pleasing going too far to protect myself.
0: Sure. Well, Um, I think it's so much right the fear of what if I feel this way or what if I piss somebody off and... Mm then all this catastrophe will happen. Yep. And so I need to make sure I am, you know, one eighty from that and yeah. working so hard to either avoid people or be super nice to people that yeah. I can't yeah. let that happen.
1: And 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 then I can't and what that leads to is I can't speak up about any of my own needs. Mm-hmm. I have to tolerate bad behaviour from other people. Sure. I can't be authentic and real. I can't
0: have my own opinions.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I had one one person do exposures recently that were choosing to share dissenting opinions
0: oh I love it
1: yeah and the the idea the threat system would say if you share an opinion that is different from this person's opinion then they're going to be angry with you there'll be an argument and conflict you won't be able to like this is from other people like you won't be able to to defend the position that you're forced to defend but basically there'll be conflict and the relationship will kind of fracture
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: and so this this was honestly like a big exposure because the risk was the threat system was saying you will fracture this relationship you care about mm. but it's hard to have a relationship where you can't actually share your own opinions if the other person doesn't agree mm-hmm. so anyways we, we had him do the exposure and guess what it went great he we shared it and great meaning not like the person was like oh yeah well I'll change my opinion too but just like it was fine mm-hmm. A discussion ensued rather than a fight.
0: Well, I think, like, in getting back to safety behaviors, kind of how we talked about with the insomnia one, that they end up causing the problem that they're trying to prevent. yes. Yeah, that piece of, like, if I'm the people-pleasing piece, especially if I am only pleasing people all the time, right, eventually people kind of get
1: annoyed with it. Yeah, people don't, people like, people will sense you're not really telling me what you really think. Mm -hmm. I'm not really seeing the real you. Yeah. And it's it's really, again, connection basics, it's really hard to connect if it's not actually you that's being presented. Yeah,
0: if you can't, um, understand anything else about the other person, right? Mm-hmm. If there's if they're not bringing anything to the table, if they're only like kind of being a yes person. Like, yeah. it's it's hard to yeah feel connected and because
1: just, you, they don't actually you know your opinions, they don't know what you really think.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't know. You can't really trust them. Yeah. Right. Because how do I know that you're gonna this is gonna be your position tomorrow? How do um, I know that what you really stand for and what you what you yeah. really believe? They're not
1: actually. And I think of it again, thinking of authenticity. This person doesn't actually see you. They can't actually connect with you because they don't actually see you and you can't really feel connected because you're not actually known
0: because mm-hmm. you
1: haven't revealed it yet.
0: So I think that it's yeah. trying to prevent disconnection and maybe in the short term, right, it does. Yeah,
1: it stops the conflict in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. But in the long term, yeah, you yeah, can't have... it prevents real connection. Yeah, you can't You can't have... and And that, like, it's almost like disrespectful, right? Like, you don't trust me enough to let me know you don't you think really i can think. handle mm-hmm.
1: you yeah and and that i feel like and, and that consequence does happen sometimes when people find out that oh there was a part of you and you didn't tell me about this and you didn't you, you didn't reveal it to me you can feel like oh did you think i was that that judgmental or you know like, whatever i mean you get beyond that and conflict is resolved at least it's real at least the connection's real at that point
0: And I think the other piece, too, of, like, some of the safety behaviors, Mm -hmm. there's a strong incidence of, like, alcohol abuse with social anxiety, right? And feeling like I need to use alcohol Mm -hmm. to feel the social lubricant, to feel comfortable enough to do these (sighs) things. And so, yeah, people, you know, that that piece that maybe initially felt like this is helping then can kind of create a life of its own. And then the thing that you were trying to protect yourself from... Mm yeah
1: back to bite you. totally um I think too about the i should just that it's more sort of a talking thing, but like the most common safety behavior I come across, and I know, probably half of my work is in this stuff um the most common safety behavior I come across is i need i need to filter out what I'm saying to make sure I only say stuff that's good enough or right enough mm. or people will like enough, and so it's really. Difficult. Uh, The way I'll talk about it is if you've got to run like an extra filtering program that is running simultaneously over the conversation and when you think of saying something you've got to run it through this filter program that is analyzing the content to decide what is okay to say and what's not okay to say. That's a ton of extra processing going on and if you think about it it's designed to prevent Conversation going wrong, or someone not liking you. But if you got all your, if you got half of your attention up trying to process whether what you're going to say is right or not, what ends up happening is you're not talking. You talk a whole lot less, and what you say is a whole lot less interesting and real. It's like kind of it's it's filtered, it's cleaned up mm-hmm. too much. It's unnatural, and like the the way I will work on that one, because this I do is an experiment. A lot of, I mean, really a lot of treatment in social anxiety is experiments. That's why I like it so much. We test it out. Um, So how people do this experiment of, let's videotape this, since everyone's phone is a video recorder now. Um, Let's videotape this. But let's, we'll have one interaction for several minutes making small talk where you have to run the filter and make sure that everything you say comes out sounding right and you don't use any wrong words and it doesn't sound stupid and you say things that it's not offensive, whatever it is all the performance standards um, and then we have another conversation afterwards where you just leave it, you externalise attention, focus on me be curious about me and focus on the conversation itself but the goal is just Let's find out what happens when you're unprotected. So you let's see this the self that, that, is, that screws up so badly, that sounds so... Let's find out what that self is like if we just let it go. And then we test it out.
0: So how do you have them actually work on letting go of that filter? Of they put their attention on the conversation or yeah. they put their attention on...
1: Yeah, I, was, I basically say this. We will let your impression just take care of itself. You're not in charge of it. Because we're in a safe environment. We're just in the office... There's no one seeing it. It's a test. Let's see what it is. Like, let's see how this... How terribly socially inept this person you assume yourself to be is like if you just let go of all the armor and protection. Let's find out what happens.
0: And do you see a big difference in the amount of talking that happens? Yeah,
1: so this is what happens. So it'd be like people be engaged in the conversation. The, the most obvious thing is there's way more talking. Because you're you're doing human speech, which is thinking out loud. You know, it's not like uh, writing a paper where it's all cleaned up, you've analysed it. It's not how humans are. Like, if we listen to this podcast, we're going to be, like, all over the place, <laughs> starting sentences, ending different sentences. This
0: is speaking to, like, my editing Dis- ability. <laughs>
1: podcast, uh, yeah, like yeah, how yeah. little I edit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I prefer let I mean, the less editing, do the better, because the more it's real, just human speech. Um... But human, like as humans, we talk and think at the same time. Um, it's a lot of what therapy is doing. So we're discovering as it comes out, but if you're filtering, it cuts it off. If you're not, it's just... There's more that's coming out. And inevitably, what everyone ends up learning is the more that somebody says to me, this is... The more it... Or these light bulbs go off that like, Oh, that makes me think of this. That makes you think of that. Like my brain will have associations. And the more you put out, the more associations I have, the more things that fire off in my brain, the more light bulbs I have. So the more I end up saying, mm-hmm. and then the more I end up saying, the more light bulbs are going to go off for you. And then the more you end up saying back to me.
0: So that's how conversations, that's how happens. conversations
1: go. <laughs> If, if they're left to be organic and uncontrolled like a lot like they'll, they'll go somewhere they'll happen things will happen I do a lot of experiments too with let's organically find out where a conversation goes because a lot of people as a safety behaviour protection defence oh no if I don't control it nothing's going to happen there'll be the conversation's going to end there's going to be mm. awkward silence Guess like, what? let's test it out you have no control over what happens here No prep. You're not coming up with cool questions or whatever. No practice stories. We're just going to organically find out where it goes. Guess what? It goes somewhere unexpected, weird, just because light bulbs will go off in my head and lead to light bulbs in your head, and now we're off in somewhere interesting.
0: But because there were so many opportunities for direction that there's a lot less quiet. Yeah, right? Awkward silences and stilted. Yeah. Conversation.
1: Because there's there's just so much more to work with. And we watched the videotape of the uncontrolled person. The uncontrolled person, totally acceptable. Yes. There there isn't, you know, this comes from the Clark and Wells model, there isn't this, like, super narrow little path of what is acceptable human social behaviour. It's a wide range of things that we're allowed... To be you're allowed to be kind of quiet and that's fine
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're allowed to be super talkative and that's fine
0: or say something that doesn't 100 percent make sense yeah I do and that somebody's gonna like try to save face for you right by yeah. like trying to make yeah, it. yeah or you can say something sense. that's
1: blatantly wrong sometimes we'll do exposures but we'll have conversations and say something that is blatantly wrong <laughs> and watch what happens <laughs> like uh you know talk about uh, I, I don't I can't even think of any examples I know when I was doing it once it was some sports thing where we were deliberately saying like somebody like some sports team won the, the last Super Bowl or something and it was totally wrong you know just, yeah, it goes on if people either people don't say anything or if they correct you they do it in like, yeah. a, a nice yeah. way and, and they don't just like, go oh my god you're so stupid let's get out of here so that's a really that's great lessons to learn
0: but you can't learn it if you don't try it.
1: Yeah, and that's, that's how this all works. Like we, we're try, trying to widen that, that it's Clark and Well stuff, widening the acceptable behavior to where it includes you and your, just you as a natural person is acceptable.
0: What I love about this stuff, and especially like a CBT model when it's mm-hmm. applied to this, is because right, I feel like social anxiety a lot of times can be a childhood.
1: Oh thing. yeah. And yeah, so yeah, totally. to
0: see that just because this is something I've been struggling with so for so long or something that I've really practiced a lot, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't have to stay that way forever, never. right? Like it's not something that I'm doomed to having yeah. poor social conditions. Just, you just
1: actually never treated it. hmm You know, the um they they've done these studies, I'm sure i mentioned this to you before, but they've done these studies where they look at the different anxiety disorders and how long people have them for before they decide to get treatment and social anxiety I think on average it's 17 years so you've suffered from social anxiety for 17 years and it sucks Mm -hmm. and only then even then only a small percentage of people actually get it treated and it's so treatable and when it is because of the stuff you're talking about how pervasive it is how deep it is when you do treat it and you get the gains that they're enormous. They're, like, like broad, life-changing. It's awesome.
0: That's exciting. Yeah, right? Um, I think I'm running out of questions. I think it's hard, too, sometimes, because...
1: I mean, we I think we're... Time, time-wise, we're, we're, we're like... But yeah.
0: Well, then, should we talk about, like, wrap-up? Oh, and... Talk about if people have questions for us. Okay, or yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, so, so the let's
1: let, let's do a little thing because I, I know I kind of wanted us to do this like at the end, um, like how little like what were the most Wrap important up? points that, that each of us kind of kind of had for it. So so for you as the question asker, oh God, what? That was important? What, um, I think basically like take what home are your message. Take takeaways. Yeah, as I'm yawning. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this <sighs> is boring. <That's> my main <laughs> takeaway
0: is um. Right, like that. Just because you have certain social beliefs doesn't mean they're necessarily true. And a lot of times, why they seem like they're true is because you don't test it out. So yeah. can you start testing out how true these beliefs are? Mm-hmm. Um, and in being able to tolerate the discomfort that might come along with that, the more you're able to do that, the better it's going to be. in the I'm trying to think of other the. Um, more you are willing to be able to sit with the discomfort of anxiety and even some of the negative feelings that come along with it, the better the gains that will be with how you're able to socialize and how intense your social anxiety is sorry (laughs) sort of rambling but
1: did did you want to do a more polished practice version or, or, or do you want to just go with that one
0: um, I'm good
1: with it. Uh, maybe in the service of uh, the fact we're talking about social anxiety, yeah, J- just go with the rambling version.
0: That's the real. I feel version. like
1: most of my sessions are me rambling. Oh
0: God, yeah.
1: about half the time. Same here. Waiting to see, so you know.
0: Did this make sense? Just get in there. Yeah. There? About from, let me try it from this angle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think my my takeaway, because I'm not even sure, sorry, got at this exactly, um, but my way of thinking about social anxiety is. It is the defense system kicking in to try to protect you from this threat of revealing yourself and getting rejected. And the problem is that what the threat system does, the thing we mainly talked about is the threat system prevents you from finding out whether or not the risk is really there. And a lot of time the risk is not there... But even if it is, you can learn to tolerate it and find the people that are, are good fits. Um,
0: That's a lot more polished than mine.
1: Oh, I'm still going though. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna ramble my way through the next piece of this. So, um, but a big problem we didn't re- even really talk about this, but each individual component of the defense system, so each thing you do to protect yourself, prevents connection. And a lot of times it, it actually causes the problems. You being authentic and anxious is going to go so much better than you being protected and safe and coming across the way you want to come across. The protection causes the problem. So my takeaway is, yeah, be anxious, that's fine. Just be warm and connect as as an authentic person, and you will inevitably end up discovering, things kind of go okay. That that that's that's my takeaway. I feel like I can talk about this for about another five years. So <laughs> that's my ta- that's my for now takeaway. Yeah. yeah.
0: Remember we, our next one or down the line, mm-hmm. since you like dating anxiety so much as an offshoot of social anxiety.
1: Yes. I uh, will do. Be a future. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, we'll a dating anxiety one at some point. We'll, we'll give it a rest. We'll, we'll yeah. do, do some other stuff in, in between.
0: Um, if people have questions, not treatment questions for us, because
1: yeah, not not how yeah. you know <laughs> treat my anxiety for me. Yeah. We, we can't do that. But if you have a question about, about
0: the podcast or topics that you'd like to hear us talk more about yeah. in the future,
1: yeah, some some, some ideas you're curious about.
0: Yes, please feel free to email us at thomas at anxietyaustin.com or marianne, M-A-R-I-A-N-N-E at anxietyaustin.com.
1: Yeah. Um, we will send them to us, not with your own clinical stuff, but because we can't treat you, but send us the stuff you want us to kind of talk about and we will give it a read and, you know, always looking for ideas of, yeah. of stuff to talk about.
0: Thanks again, and um,
1: keep listening. Yeah, cheers.